Episode 61 with Sarah Mater. She's the CEO of Palouse Brand. Palouse is a, a plant-based food supplier of no chemical chickpeas and garbanzo beans, lentils, split peas. Sarah has just got a huge heart. And she's one of those people who's created a company, a culture that the, more than just the farm being sustainable, she's also looking at the well-being of her community and the women in her community. Very, very passionate approach to hiring, to creating a, a culture that supports working women. I'm not sure you might call them at risk. I think some of them definitely are. She drops so many value bombs. It's going to take you a while to unpack everything that she's working on, everything that they've accomplished at the farm, through technology, through transparency, into Amazon, out into the world. They've just blown up. Their sales are over 400%. And there's a lot of contributing factors that led to that growth and how she's been able to manage her team, the executive team, her superpowers, and dealing with all the challenges of just a really high-growth company. It's a fascinating story. Mainstream media had picked up her story, and that's when I noticed her on LinkedIn, and I asked her to, to please join us, and she did. And I, I was thrilled to speak with her. This was actually our second podcast recording. Our first one, we had some real uh, techie issues, and we lost it all. So she was gracious enough to come back in, and I got to spend even more time with her. And as I went back and re-edited this version, it just really hit me. She's just got a, a big, big heart, and I think you guys are going to really get a lot out of this episode, so I hope you enjoy it. And speaking of enjoying it, if you really are enjoying this podcast, I'd, I'd like to ask you to, to subscribe, like, share, comment anywhere that you listen to your podcast on iTunes or Spotify or any of the other platforms. If you're just getting it on LinkedIn, that's very easy. You can just share, comment, push it out in your network. I want Sarah's message to be spread much further than just through the five or 10,000 or so people that are on my personal LinkedIn feed. So let's definitely get it out there. Let's have lots more people listen to this great episode. Speaking of episode, this episode is brought to you by Join a Search Group. Join a Search Group is a national food and beverage executive headhunting company. They specialize in identifying sales, marketing, innovations, and operations professionals. So if you're looking for VP, director, or just pure leadership style experts from food and beverage, look no further. Turn to join us, Search Group. Okay, guys, stay tuned. The episode with Sarah is right around the corner. Well, joining me today is Sarah Mater. She's the CEO of Palouse Brands. This is our second attempt to have a podcast. We had a fantastic discussion, but then we had a bit of a technology fluke, didn't we, Sarah? Yeah, we did, but it's good to be talking with you again today, Tony. Yeah, I feel like I'm getting to know you even better. So I'm so glad you could join us here today on the Winning at Work podcast. You know, I was introduced to you. I kind of was discovering more about you as you were popping up a little bit more on LinkedIn. I started doing a little more research and there you were. You're on Fox Business. Everyone's trying to figure out how does this woman from Silicon Valley go into farming and then suddenly her brands are, are all over Amazon. So I'm really excited. I'm really excited for my listeners to hear this 
great story about your company and your brand. So why don't you give us a just a, a little bit of an overview of, of who you are in, in this wonderful company that is blowing up Amazon right now? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. So I went to school at Washington State University, graduated with my business degree and human resources. From there, I moved to the Bay Area in California, Silicon Valley. Uh, I was in HR for quite a while. And then some people from uh, a tech company approached me and I started working for them. And those co- that company sold. And um, so I have this tech background. That company sold, but I continued to work for the new company and stayed in high tech. Um, Fast forward a little bit, I moved back home to Washington State and found my husband, got married. We tried to figure out, I was still working out of the Bay Area, but, you know, I was working at home before it was like a huge thing. Um, So back in 2000. Five, I think I started working from home and, um, we started having kids and we thought, okay, how do we get me out of this, you know, this, this Bay area lifestyle and kind of, we had some of our own businesses at that point. Um, I'm in business with my husband and my in-laws. And so we started, um, my, my father-in-law, um, had the foresight in 2001 to purchase a a grain cleaning company located in Palouse, Washington. And we mostly uh, cleaned grains and and legumes for other uh, large commercial grain companies. And so that was kind of our bread and butter for a while. And then fast forward, he had trademarked our, our logo when he purchased the facility. And my husband and I were on a long drive. I can't remember where we'd been, but we were talking about how we could bring that brand back to life. This was a brand that had been, Palouse brand had been known internationally for the level of uh, green split peas. Uh, we can produce a very unique green split pea. It is a an old traditional method that was developed in the 1940s that we still keep in operation today. It produces one of the highest quality green peas in the world. And so there's character, I know this sounds really technical, but there's characteristics of a green split pea that if you hit it right, you've got the premium market. And so um, through the time, you know, the Mediterranean diet has been growing. We decided to start Palouse brand and, and revive the brand with the original logo. And so as we had kids, I started filling orders from home, you know, um, and then we eventually grew that into a business that I could no longer fill orders at home from. We launched on Amazon. We went right out of the gate with Amazon. So we've been an Amazon seller for 13 years, maybe. Uh, I've been around that company longer than some of the employees have, most of the employees, actually. And so... Um, we, we put our own website out there, but mainly it was just so that consumers on Amazon could find us and figure out who we were so that they knew more about their food. We wanted to launch. There's this whole, I, I, I could see it early on. I could feel it, you know, 13, 14 years ago when we were developing this brand. Consumers were moving in the direction of wanting to know where their food came from. Like transparency, you mean? Full transparency. They wanted to be able to connect with the farmer, ask questions. There was a lot of misinformation out there. And so I decided out of the gate that this was the time to marry tech to the farmer. And we, when we launched, we, we made it very family forward. I had a few simple goals. 
Um, one was to provide better than Nordstrom's customer service. So one thing you'll find about me, Tony, is that I watch the brands that I'm a loyal shopper to, and I watch the companies and I watch them very closely. And then I take the pieces of those companies that I'm in love with and I replicate them in my own. And so I've always been someone that has had mentors, although they've never known they were my mentor. Uh, the very first person I worked for was a huge mentor to me and she had no idea. And still to this day, the way I watched her work and the conversation she had and the thoughtfulness and the, her analytical skills have had a huge impact on me. And, uh, so that was, she was very good at what she did. And so that was in a flower shop of all places. That was my first. Does she know now that she was this mentor for you? Have you ever told her this or is this still a big secret? So it is not a big secret anymore. She has passed and I still have, Aww. she was an amazing woman and she passed of, of cancer and she was so amazing that she planned every last detail down to a gift for people that uh, attended the funeral. Her favorite drink was Coca-Cola. And so what she did was she bought everybody a bottle of Coke tied a personal note on the bottle of Coke and it's still sitting above my desk and she's been gone for a long time. Uh, I still keep in touch with her husband and her family. Um, but yes, she, at some point I came clean. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, typically people, you know, have a, uh, more of an interactive relationship with the mentor, but it's obviously very, po obviously it's possible to learn from others, you know, at a distance. So hundred percent. And so, so when we married the technology to the farmer, we wanted people to be able to communicate with us, ask questions, learn more about how we do things, um, know that they could trust us. This is the food that we feed our family. We're, you know, and just bridge that gap. We are not organic, but we're also not a commercial farm. So we practice right in the middle. We practice something called sustainability. What that means is that we try and take care of the environment. You know, we, we look at that, we look at the farm and the facility, the plant as a whole uh, business unit. It's, they are single standalone businesses. Let me, let me say that first. So when you hear me talk about the farm, that, that is a different company than the one we're talking about today, Plus Brand. But they do tie together in that I purchase uh, the food from the farm and then clean it and bag it in um, small bags. Sarah, I'm confused. So to me, you know, growing food, um, to me, it sounds organic anyway. So what am I missing? You're saying it's not organic? So there's industry standards that classify organic foods as organic. So there's certifications that companies can go through to get certified organic. And so we are certified sustainable. And so conventional farmers don't need a conventional uh, certification because they're still kind of using those old traditional farming methods, the ones that, um, you know, do deep tillage. They, they, um, they haven't kind of evolved. Let me, let me put it that way. So we fall into the middle of both of those things, but we, we also go to the extra step of getting certified. So that means that we our inputs, what we put back into the soil is monitored uh, as to what we're doing there. Our outputs are monitored. They look at us for environmental friendliness. Um, so a couple things, they like a big goal for them a few years ago was to get us to reduce the amount of paper in the, in the uh, plant. I mean, we get great 
it on everything. And so what we did was um, we moved to the Google platform, another one of my favorite brands. And it's helped our team so much. Uh, we're all, lots of us are in remote locations. There are at least four different offices in the, in the, within the companies. And with their platform of, of collaboration, I'm able to make real-time edits and hold video calls or, or just a phone call and work through things with other teams. And so we deployed that Jeez, years ago. And that was one of the things that we did to satisfy our sustainability uh, requirement. Another one might be, uh, you know, certain borders from streams and rivers, you know, so they, they look at everything and, and both our farm is certified along with our facility. Our certification is through the Food Alliance. They're based out of Oregon. So you have to meet those requirements so you can become certified in this case, you're going for sustainability. You know, we're also certified non-GMO. And so there's a, there's a, we have a food safety manager that works for us. And um, she's the one that goes to the audits with the auditors. We make sure that all of our documentation is in place, our cleaning procedures. You know, we, we test our water. Uh, the only um, thing that we use, our, our processing facility is all dry with the exception of one thing and it's water. And we use water to split the peas and we have to test our water to make sure that the water is clean enough. And, and there's just so many different levels to making sure that this food is safe uh, for consumers that we have to go through. Uh, we, we do have a food safety manager who helps us um, manage and monitor all those things. So this trend in wanting to know where your food is coming from came around at the time that you were, were coming out of Silicon Valley. You had this ability and technology to somehow capture this information and make it more accessible for consumers to discover this, like on your website or through Amazon. Is that kind of how you started, you know, kind of putting both those worlds together? Yeah. So every bit bag of Palouse brand has a lot code on it. And, and, uh, you're catching in a transition. So there's some, some new things coming, but today when you go to our website and you punch in that lot code, it will take you to the details of that food. Who was the combine driver? What date did we seed? Who packaged that bag? Um, you know, it, it it's kind of like all the, how, you know, how many people and, and what processes went into that one bag. And I think something important to note is that we've designed it for women. Our small bag packaging line, which is everything sold on Palouse brand and our website is done by just women. Uh, we have, we do have men, you know, we have, we have all sorts of people in the plant, but we kind of keep them divided out a, a little bit and we strategically look for women. And that's because of the way we've designed our culture. And even more specifically, we try to support single mothers and single women. I do want to get into that, but I, I kind of want to make sure people understand really what's happening here. So you, you revitalize this brand at a time when there was a, a growing demand, right? I, is this coming from the from the plant based food love? I mean, that's obviously been going on for a couple of decades, but it's really kind of reaching a kind of a fever pitch now. Is that kind of what was fueling this growth? Yeah, they used to call it the Mediterranean diet, right? So it was like even before it had a name. Now it's kind of moved to plant based foods. I just. I knew that there was people who love food or foodies. They want to know everything about their food. They're very specific. I mean, you should see the questions that come in. And so I just had a feeling that this was a trend in a way we were going to move to. And, and you know, we, we use some technology that 
it was now being used, but we were ahead of the time. So we were a little bit ahead of, ahead of the time in launching in that we would tell you every detail about that bag of food. I don't think there's many companies out there that can do that today. No, that is that is very unique. And so I'm just curious, does that put you in a different price point because you're giving that visibility or is that just a value add that someone gets when they work with or buy the Palouse brand? Um, that's a value add. So, you know, everything online in e-commerce is looking at your conversion rates, right? The more people know about that, the higher your conversion rates are going to be. Um, and so the more transparency we can give the consumers and helping them make the decision is what then eventually leads them to wanting to work with us. And we have people that want to work with us and have been customers and loyal to us for, you know, 10, 12, 13 years. Um, and it's that same transparency we give them. That's what the consumer wants. And, and, um, Yes, the plant-based diet is now fueling tremendous growth. Uh, COVID also helped in um, many shoppers moving to e-commerce during that time and even still today. Um, you know, when there's a run on gasoline today, our sales on our website and on Amazon will be up. It's, it's an interesting thing how a run on one item can cause trends and effects throughout multiple categories. Yeah, it's interesting. Right, like the lack of gas just forces people online to start buying their food. And of course, now you're talking about higher conversion rates. And I'm kind of curious about that. I know that's kind of an inside baseball idea, right, to get into that. But when you say conversion, is that just people who go to the website and are looking at your brand that actually decide to click through and, and purchase? Is that what you mean by conversion? Yep. Yep. Do they look at it and then do they purchase? That's exactly it. So I imagine Amazon tracks all of this, yeah? Oh, yeah. We, we, we track it. We have, you know, my tech background allows us to track a lot of stuff. So we look for certain things in key software that we can um, learn more about our shopping, our shoppers' behavior. Amazon is exceptional at that. Uh, we did recently launch um, in the last year on some other e-commerce platforms. But Amazon is light years away. Like, they, they started this so long ago. They've got it dialed in. Some of these other e-commerce players are still trying to figure out who they are. And it's pretty hokey on the backside, but Amazon sellers have the best selling platform in the world. And so the metrics that we look at down to, um, this individual skew level, okay, how's this size converting versus that size? Or what did changing our marketing here or giving more information in this area? How did those, those things trend over time? We're able to get in and see all of that and make decisions and it helps drive what we do every day. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely are very metrics based. Um, I'm a numbers person, so I'm looking at those things. My team is geared to look at those things. If they see a trend that I haven't been seeing, they'll say, Hey, we need to work on this. This is, you know, this, this cost is going up. How do we balance this out? We dig in deep, we figure it out and, and we kind of go from there. Well, you know, what I think is interesting is that we're talking about a business, which is based through a farm, but then you couple it with, okay, now you're trying to fulfill Amazon orders, which exposes you to literally everyone in the world. And being a small business owner, um, you must be faced with en enormous challenges. And I'm curious, what are some of those headwinds that you're facing? Yeah, sure. I think that every day 
presents its own unique challenges, and it's figuring out how to work through those things. So I'm going to step back just a little bit to COVID and give you an example. Um, There was so so just I know some people are going to want to know numbers. So let me give a couple numbers in terms of growth that you can wrap your minds around. Um, In January, the Palouse brand um, brand manager came to me and said, "Hey." Uh, we are having problems. I cannot keep Amazon stocked. And I looked at her and she's so cost driven. And and by the way, she can hear me talking about her. So full transparency, we've had this conversation. We have a great relationship. And uh, she said, I cannot keep it stocked. And I said, well, you know, in my mind, I thought this is a really good lesson. You know, boy, was I wrong. I said, this was a really good lesson for her because she's so numbers driven. You know, we pay per, we pay rent to Amazon. That's not what they call it, but for lack of a better word, in terms of square feet that we occupy in their warehouses. And so um, from our warehouse, we ship foods to Amazon warehouses where they can um, then process and ship the orders to consumers. And um, I I looked at her and I said, I I was like thinking in my mind, this is a really good lesson. And I kind of just let her swim. And I kind of became a recurring theme until my husband said, do you think she needs help? You know? And I'm like, no, no, no. She's just, she's not got her numbers dialed in. She needs to learn, you know? Well, on February 13th, so six weeks later, she comes in and she wanted everybody to meet at the office and she had a balloon pop and it had been our highest day of sales ever um, on a single platform. So on Amazon. And it was really cool. And that was the same day we had a management meeting. And um, at that meeting, she was explaining her challenges again. You know, here goes through the leader who thinks she's teaching a lesson. My husband says, you, you need to look into this. Something's going on. Well, I went out to the plant. So, so I'm in a different office. So we, like I said, we have four offices. And I had never seen go, what it was going on going on before. And I realized from that point forward, we had some big challenges and our sales kept growing day over day. And I'm not talking about $50 a day, talking about thousands of dollars a day, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars a day. And so, um, boy, she had been swimming and sinking because, um, she couldn't feed Amazon warehouses fast enough. And this was, you know, people were starting to feel the movement of the pandemic coming. And at one point in March, we did in one day, and, and, and we had to shut off the system. We had to shut it off one day. We did the number of orders in one day that, or sorry, dollars. It was a dollar metric I'm talking about. Then we did an entire, the entire month prior. And that had been our best month ever. So you can imagine that that point we're fulfilling everything straight from our warehouse, which meant, uh, our, our shipping partner is U- the USPS or, or the postal service. They couldn't supply me regionally with enough packages at that point for me to ship customer orders. We had just gone through a huge growth spurt. We'd hired, uh, we were, we had over a hundred employees at that time. Um, we were taking, you know, people were being laid off. We were putting them to work. It, literally, if you answered your phone, you got a job from us. We needed help that desperately. And so I, um, you know, my, I had a, I had a full-time postmaster just in my facility. We had a, a federal mail truck backed up to our facility that we were loading to sometimes 
two two trucks a day, I think two, maybe three every now and then, we were loading of, of packages. And if you think of a 53-foot van trailer, that's a huge semi that we were pulling in and out of there. And and the amount, the volume, actually, totally one of the most interesting things is that I'm one of the companies that has broken Amazon. Uh, when you log in, <laughs> How did you break Amazon? Yeah, yeah, when you log in as a seller on the back end, it'll tell you how many orders you have fulfilled out of your warehouse in the last seven days. No, in the, in the current day and in the last seven days, and both numbers were stuck. And I took a picture and I, and I sent it and I said, Hey, I broke you guys. So I sent it to one of my buddies over at Amazon. But so, so we were doing like just massive volumes and, and then for the postal service to say, yeah, we're out of packaging. Like, okay, that's a big challenge. And it was not like, we're going to be out next week. It's we're done. We, we have nothing for you tomorrow. Wait a minute. You so wait, you you broke Amazon and the United States Postal Service. Yes. Fun fact, they told me they called me a few weeks ago and told me that I was the number one customer of the US Postal Service in the US. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're looking at some packaging changes and they were asking for advice on them. But I think what what I'm struggling with is you're constrained, aren't you, by the size of the farm? Oh, Tony. By the output, what am I missing here? I mean, you you're missing the fact that the farmers went through a season of tariffs, and we are still in international tariffs. And um, yeah, we'll rewind. Uh, and, you're going to have to explain that. You can't drop that. Can you give us a quick uh, overview? Where our farm is based is located in a county that pr- produces one of the most premium Sierra garbanzo beans or chickpeas in the world. It's one of the most highly requested bean. It's a premium bean that had primarily gone into India. And um, when the U.S. threw steel tariffs on China, you can probably remember how many years ago that was, not very long ago, India had been the second largest um, producer of steel for the U.S., and it negatively impacted their community or their, their, uh, their country. And so they retaliated and their retaliation was a 77% tariff on our garbanzo beans and chickpeas, which it's actually 66 or 67. And then they have another 10%. And those are still in place today. And so our farm does a lot of export. In fact, we export 10 times the amount that we import or that, that we, sorry, not import, sell domestically. So um, we were sitting on a lot of crop, many pounds. In fact, we still have some today. Um, and so as you work through those pounds, you know, my primary export country had been India. In fact, the three years prior, I had only exported to India. So now we're sitting on this huge crop that can't even go to India. Like, don't even pick up the phone. They can't, they can't buy. They can't afford it. Um, and so, um, in the midst of, you know, COVID here, I am working on, you know, now I work in the middle East. I work work in South America, some in Asia and Europe as well. Um, finding new homes for these, these chickpeas and garbanzo beans. So the tariffs are really what fueled us having the capacity to do that so quickly. Now our farm is not the tiniest of farms. It is a healthy sized farm. Um, and so that we were able to meet the U S demand and we still are today. 
Um, every crop year we set aside, I can tell you near exact what we're going to do based off of the forecast of doing this for 13 years. As we add new channels, we kind of have to add some fluctuations in there, but we have great insight as to what the U.S. is going to consume. And COVID really threw us for the loop, but we couldn't have been set up more perfectly because we had the crop. Okay. That just made sense. I know people were listening were thinking, wait a minute, it's a crop. You can't just magically, you know double output. Okay. So that that explains it because you, you basically, you shifted your export to fulfill domestic. I mean, essentially. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Which came with a ton of packaging constraints. And I can talk about those a little bit. That's another issue, but back to the primary issue of the U S postal service. The fun part about this story is that I was at my wits end and didn't know what to do. And I sent Jeff Bezos's team at Amazon. Well, I sent it to him, but he has a team. He had a team of people at that point that would work with people like me. And I just said, Hey, the U S postal service isn't able to give me packaging. I like, we're both done and this sucks, right? I've got a hundred employees. I've just hired targeting these single moms, targeting, targeting these women out of work. And, uh, I can't get packaging tomorrow. I can't ship anything. We're going to have to shut down the channels. And so, um, from there I thought, well, there's one other person that could make this work for me. And so I sent it to the, to the general postmaster of the U S and within 30 minutes, my local post office, a regional post office called me and said, I do not know what you did, but I just got a call that this is on the desk of the postmaster general's desk and something is going to happen. And I'm telling you what that postmaster, she made it happen. Um, in 11, I think it was 11 hours. I had a 53 foot van trailer semi loaded front to back with all the packaging needs that I, all, everything I needed. It was at my dock. I, I stayed, I mean, I was kind of living there at that point. Um, I called him <laughs> right. Living yeah. among the chickpeas. Right. We, we had to have a forklift driver there at all times. Right. So we're running 24 seven. I would take kind of the overnights or whatever shift, you know, let, let some other people sleep. So, um, there was one other team member that said, I can't, I can't not be there. I can't not be there for this moment when we receive this call me. So, you know, like 1 AM I'm calling her out of bed. She lived nearby and she and I unloaded our first, uh, semi of packaging supplies. We've never bought in that type of quantity before. So, um, really fun moments, huge struggles to think of all these people you're now employing at such a low point in the economy and, and, you know, really meeting a need for these families. And yet you don't, you can't, you don't have boxes to put the food in to ship it to them. Right. So anyways, that was one of the large challenges through COVID. Um, and once we got over that hurdle and got the right contacts and everyone understood what was going on, the amount of support we got was completely overwhelming. It truly takes telling your story. People inherently want to do good. They want to help. They are trying to figure out how to help you when you, when you talk about your problems. And, you know, um, when I explained what was going on at one point, I sent video messages to people saying, this is what's happening. I need your support. Um, please help me. I'm not sure what to do. I mean, I, you know, through tears, obviously, because there are, there is a point at which you completely get overwhelmed. Um, and there's a lot of human emotion that goes on during this time, but, uh, if I could do it all over again, and you said in one minute from now, you have to go do it again and work 60 days straight, uh, you know, 18, 24 hours a day, I'd do it. Tony, it was, it was amazing. It was such a time to be working here. 
um, the whole community was talking. You're kind about. of touching on these superpowers. I don't know if people are able to suss it out right now. Maybe they've discovered a, an enormous uh, tenacity that exists within you. Oh yeah, I've got a problem. So uh, you know, you got to be a little crazy <laughs> probably to do what right, I do. So but my let's problem break is it down. What's yeah, the problem? Yeah, I'm competitive. And it's not even really against others. I mean, sometimes it is, but it's really against myself. What can we do better today than we did yesterday? What would, you know, I'm constantly pushing the team. What can we do, you know, now? What's next? What do we need to see in six months? Where are we headed? What's your team? What What are you doing to develop your people below you? Because this is what I'm going to need you to do in six months from now. Well, how um, do you not drive your team crazy with this? Yeah. So, oh boy, have I seen some doozies. So I've, uh, again, learn by watching others, right? I will never tell a mentor of mine that they are my mentor. I will watch and I will see what happens. I've seen a number of leaders try and change, you know, ship set sail. We're headed to Hawaii, right? All of a sudden they change course and, and move to Alaska and the ship can't change that fast and it implodes. It implodes quick and fast. And we are at the size where I can't do that. Each change in business or each struggle that we're having has to be vetted with the team. They don't do well when you hit them over the head, you know, and so I've got a very close team, very close people around me, people that are honest. Uh, I talk about what our struggles are. They understand what I'm going through. They understand, I understand what they're going through and we work to support each other on so many fronts, Tony, um, whether it's professionally or personally, uh, we've developed a culture where, um, you can say anything, you know, actually, Tony, you can't offend me. Um, I'm, I'm not offended. That might be a superpower. Um, the transparency. The- I don't know if I'd call that humility or just mission over personal sense, right? Yeah, it's not, it's not personal when it comes to the only, okay, I'll tell you the one thing that can offend me. And this is literally as, as my team would probably tell you, you can say anything to me anything you want. The only thing that offends me is if you question my integrity. That's the line. That's where I draw the line. Other than that, you can say, you know, I hate your hair. Okay, great. Well, I love it. So we're going to keep moving on from that. (laughs) Um, you know, you know, whatever it is, I just don't get offended. And so, um, I think one of my superpowers is having these, the same transparency we give our consumers we have in, in, in and amongst our team. And, um, I've asked for the freedom to throw ideas and I've, you know, right from the get go, if you're going to work for me, you're going to be privy to a lot of information. And we're going to talk about a lot of things. And a lot of those things are never going to come true <laughs> or never happen. Right. You, and, and so I need them to trust me enough to be able to have those conversations. I need their feedback. I do not know everything. And then I need uh, them to be able to challenge me in certain areas and say, well, I don't see how that works. You know, I spend a lot of time in my head, a lot of time vetting through so many different things and really dialing in the vision. And I'm one of those people that gets stuck, right? Like, okay, I've got, you know, like I said, you got to be a little crazy. I'm a little crazy. I, you know, I have a little bit of OCD when it comes to ideas. I'll see if they stick. Okay. Is that idea nagging me three weeks from now? Okay. How do I work through that mentally? Okay. How do I launch to the team? How do I open up this discussion? How does everybody come in and not be defensive, um, and defend their ground? Cause I'm about to rock the boat big time. But 
we do it as a team and, and we think through all the possible outcomes. My team has been with me a long time. And I mean a long time. And a lot of them have worked like for the farm. And so they understand the vertical integration and how the companies work together and who to go to to get things done. I hate being in the middle of a, of a wheel that's trying to go and, you know, not being, you know, that phone call can't get through to me for whatever reason. So we empower people to work together. The, the only thing I ask them is to be truthful with me in any situation. If you want to make me mad, you're going to lie to me. <laughs> So um, that's kind of the opposite side of, you know, questioning your integrity would be lying to you. Um, Sarah, it's, it also sounds like, um, you've kind of given people permission, you know, to have these kind of open conversations with you. You've let them know that you're a brainstormer. You are someone, have you ever taken the Clifton strengths assessment or Clifton strengths finder? No. Okay. So if you did, I'm I'm going to put a hundred bucks down right now that says one of your top five that would show up would be ideation because clearly you have so many ideas that your team has to know that you are like a fountain. And I struggle with that too, because if you're constantly throwing ideas at it, people, it, it does confuse them. So you've, it sounds like you've done a great job of creating this team that says, Hey, look, I've got all these ideas. I need to share them. I think out loud and we're going to pick the best ones. Yeah. I think that's a good, good way to put it. I, I, you know, when, when I knew we were going to be talking, I asked, you know, one of my managers, I said, Oh boy, I don't know what my superpowers are And her immediate. You know, this is the manager that I was letting barely swim by the way, for six weeks that I feel guilty over not listening to. Um, but, but, uh, she said, it's vision. You, you are so good at vision. Um, and so I just have to be careful. I can't rock the boat. You know, it literally paralyzes people. Uh, we've gone through our changes as we've grown. We're still, you know, we're still 400% higher in terms of sales as we were pre-COVID. And things change. Um, just because we're in a warehouse environment, that doesn't mean that Amazon doesn't change something on us and we have to quickly make a change internally. That affects the culture. You know, we've had a couple employees and I'll, I'll get pretty specific here who stopped performing and they were our high performers and, um, were desperately trying to figure things out. And when we sat down with them, we figured out that they thought they were the problem and that's why we were changing things. These are women that take extreme pride in what they do. They're proud of what, who they work for and what they, what everything they put in that bag. And so they were taking the changes personally. And boy, was that a wake up call. Like these are not personal things. Amazon changed how we have to do it. Like this has nothing to do with you. And explaining them, re-empowered them in production and, and everything that they had been so great about instantly changed. It's a complete morale changer. So you have to, you can't change things too quickly. And when you do, you kind of have to lay it out and explain why. And when you have your team support behind you, now they're the behind you, they know they didn't cause a problem. You know, uh, it really changes the dynamics and the culture at work. You know, how often does a change come down and it's not really communicated as to why. And I think that's part of your culture of transparency. Yeah. I mean, we, we've learned our lessons, right? Sometimes we think, oh, it's not that big, big a deal. Have them print the label this way. 
no, they think they're doing something wrong. And so let's talk about what, I mean, even, you know, labeling bags. I, I know that sounds crazy, but you got to talk it through and they, you got to have their support and they got to understand why they're doing it. And when they, when they understand the why it's perfection. I know we've talked about this a little bit in our, in our first podcast that I so wish people could hear, but I think they're getting a lot of it now. You, you discussed that you've had some unique talent attraction strategies because you do compete against a lot of the, the bigger companies. You touched on the fact that you do go after and hire a lot of women, that you're a, a big supporter of, of women. Um, this also kind of ties into your culture, into your brand. So maybe you can touch on that. Yeah. So from the get go, uh, when I, when, so prior to tech, I was in the hospitality arena and I had to wear heels and slacks and blouses. So I know this sounds like so crazy, but just give me a second here. I hated it. I hated how I felt. I hated like, I, it almost felt a little fake. Right. And so when I went to tech, it was a perfect segue into like a leisure apps, uh, a leisure, down, leisure clothing, right? Down to the, what I wear to work. How do I feel when I work? And as I had children, it became increasingly difficult to, you know, put fancy clothes on or anything. You just, you want to work in what you feel good and what, you know. So I um, wanted to design a culture and I knew that I needed something to keep me motivated as a, as the leader. And so I wanted to design something where we use women to do the bags. Um, they have families. A lot of them come from extremely broken backgrounds. We work to get them to a livable wage to help ease the, the welfare system. Uh, sometimes we hire homeless women. Sometimes we hire, um, ex drug addicts. Uh, sometimes, I mean, the, their stories are so deep, right? A lot of, a lot of emotional abuse. I mean, we're in rural America, but there are two other large employers in the area. Well, there's a few, but the ones that I compete with are Schweitzer engineering labs. Um, he's got a ton of people, great manufacturing environment. And then Washington state university is the other one. We're a 15 minute drive, uh, from both of those companies. And so I knew I had to be different in order to attract people. One, I wanted them to wear to work what they want. And I'm not, I'm not kidding, Tony. During COVID, when we were all working, people were in their pajamas. They were tired. Uh, they, they, like flannel pants were a thing in the, in the warehouse. And it everyone is like going, yeah, I know. It, I wear those to work when I'm at home. I mean, yep. everyone is, you got your, we call them your comfies. Your comfies. That's perfect. So, um, the other thing that we've embedded and I train my managers to do is to hire specific women. So I'm going to tell you about two women. There's woman a who looks professional. She can get a job anywhere. She's friendly. She's perfect. She looks the part. She looks like she'd be a great employee. And then there's, you know, potential employee B who is dressed sloppy. Who's had a rough day, who doesn't take any time to get ready for the job interview because she's an exhausted mother. When my managers hire people, they would, they go for option B. If someone looks like they can get a job somewhere else, we don't hire them. We go for the woman who looks like she needs a supportive system and help. Um, through that, you know, we're able to provide benefits. It becomes a great, a better work, uh, home environment for that woman. We're enriching her life. We have great relationships with these women, even when they, if they go on and do something better or get a different job after we give them the experience, which we're so proud of them for, um, you know, they still, 
still miss us. We still talk on Facebook. We still reach out. Um, we love these women and we meet them where they're at. You know, being a single mom is hard. It's so hard. They go through so many things. There's no break. And so if I can provide an environment where they get to come and no matter how they look, uh, you know, mom's mom's listening. Think how hard it is to get your kids for school. How much time do you have left for yourself? Wouldn't you, you know, instead of screaming at your kids, wouldn't you rather just not do makeup that day and go to work so that you could get your kids ready and not put the time into yourself? I mean, you have to design a culture that is open for almost anything. And so um, that's what we've done. We have made it an easy place to come where women can walk off the job for any reason to take care of a child without uh, any retaliation. And we get some really great women. You know, you're late for work. Okay, no big deal. We partner with Amazon. They're taking care of those orders for all of our customers. All we need to do is feed Amazon and feed our website and take care of our website customers. We've got a great team. You don't, there's never, I, I can't even think of any time there was an attendance punishment. I can't, I don't think there's one right up on file company-wide for an attendance issue um, because we allow people to, to take care of their families. And that's first and foremost. And, you know, a lot of other employers, one of the largest employers in the country is in town as well. Um, and if you clock in late, the time clock fires you after certain times of clocking in late. So we do get these people that are, are you know, couldn't make it to their shift because their kids took extra time that day or, or did over the course of a year, took too much extra time, you know, took an extra five minutes here to get kids ready or whatever. And now they've lost their job. And so we look for those women and we look to support them in our community. Do you think the, the buyers of your, of your products, your, your non-GMO chickpeas and, and split peas and all the other products you're selling, do they know the backstory of the women no. Okay. I'm going to tell you one of the hardest things. Like if I could, if I could get one thing, Tony, and I've begged, uh, my brand manager and I traveled to Seattle a few years back and I was asked to do some filming in an Amazon studio and we filmed my story. We filmed, um, uh, what we do. And, and I cried. I mean, so first of all, my brand manager knows what to ask to get me going. Right. So she fed the producer, whoever was asking the host. <laughs> oh boy. It and, was a setup. You know, it was a hundred percent a setup and, you know, and then I couldn't like control myself because here I am thinking about these people, you know, when you, if you ever need motivation, you do something for a cause. Like if I ever get tired of doing what I do day in or day out, or if I ever need like a little break, all I have to do is think of the kids that I'm feeding in these families or the kids that their mom gets to buy them a Christmas present this year. Um, it is truly what keeps me going at my level and keeps me trying to push things forward. So if I could ask for one gift, Tony, one, it would be to get that footage that I've never seen come out. We've tried. I don't, the project probably got killed and, or last we heard it was stuck in legal and that was like three years ago. We've never, we haven't been able to pull that out, but you know, we love Amazon and what they do and they take care of us in so many ways. I just, if I could get one gift for the company, it would be that footage so that we could start telling our story. And because it's not out, we'll tell our story in other ways, but we've not been good at telling our story and the people that they're employing. And that is changing internally. That is that we are working on a, a website redesign. I've been buried in code the last two weeks. That's where I've lived. And, um, 
we're coding that new site with the intention of bringing the story forward. So, oh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, yep. It's definitely, you know, there are some biblical principles in there, right? Like you don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You don't go on the street corner and tell everybody, you know, look at all the money I've given to charity. That's not charity, but right. <laughs> Yeah, that's um, self-congratulations and uh, you get, you know, the reward you get from that is very limited. So, but yeah, at the same time, just, but, yeah. but I was going to say though, Sarah, but it sounds like in a business of transparency and helping women, you know, it is, it's a nice backstory. People do like, you know, brands with a cause yeah. and people will support brands for more than the fact that it's a brand they, they like to satisfy a need they have, but that it's a, it's got a transcendental, you know, attached to it. Right. And you certainly have, and that's what, and that was a complete surprise to me. I didn't know this was part of your, your brand and your story that didn't come out anywhere. It wasn't until we talked that I heard that. No, yeah. Mainstream media hasn't picked up on that. Um, they think it's nice, but they aren't sure that their people want to hear that. That's the feedback we get. Yeah, people do want to hear that. I think they're wrong. I think people want to hear that. I, I agree. I, you know, um, okay, so I told you about the brand thing I get obsessed with, right? So I ordered, I think it was Chipotle. I ordered some food from Chipotle a few weeks ago, and it was telling me, me like the carbon, carbon, um, you know, what carbon credits that food, yeah, would put back into the environment. And I immediately screenshotted it, sent it to the brand manager and said, we have to do this, right? We have to, because our foods actually put nitrogen back in the soils. They help renew and sustain our planet. Um, and so, um, but part of doing that is we have to tell these people who they, who's making their food, who, who's, who's the farmer, who's the, who's the packager. And so part of the design, which, you know, I'm talking about and where I've been living the last couple of weeks, you know, you used to get that information after you made the purchase, but we're going to test putting it in the front and we're going to test letting people know how many families are employed and, and, you know, how, and along with the carbon information, because our foods are so good for their bodies and good for the environment. It gives us, it replenishes our soils. Our foods are, are, you know, amazing. And so, um, they're superfoods. They're, they're just amazing things, not only for earth, but also for, for mankind, for humans, you know, it's, it's a rural area. There's not a ton of opportunity. Um, my, the town I work in or the town my facilities in has probably got, you know, 1100 people in it. I think that might even be high. Think about the job opportunities for, for women who are living out there with kids that go in that school district. They don't want to drive 15 minutes or 45 minutes to a job. They want to be right there where they're accessible. And so that's what we've done, and that's what we're providing them. Well, you certainly have, I think, defined quite well what it is to be sustainable and humanitarian-focused, a family-forward and all along, all aside, you know, you know, add all that together and you're still, you know, competing in this ultra competitive e-commerce space on Amazon. It's quite amazing how all these things are coming together. And, uh, yeah, I think your competitive spirit, your vision clearly is, you know, setting the mark out for everyone to see. Of course, you've had bumps in the road, right? I mean, you, you're learning. It was kind of funny. You, you thought you were giving your, um, 
one of your production managers a lesson, quote unquote lesson, and letting them, you know, sink for six weeks. I think you're the one who were being who, who was being taught. I think okay. you were discovering. You know, the funniest thing yeah. about this person is that she doesn't. I feel like I recommend to people things like, oh, you should check this out. You know, I'm a, I'm a high recommender. Like I've always got an opinion on how to help someone. This person, and I'm going to give her a name. Her name's Alyssa. She can literally hear me talking about her. She doesn't do that. She'll say, hey, have you read this book? Or, oh, my gosh. You know, one of the books she, she recommended to me was Shoe Dog. Um, it's the Phil Knight story, right? And it took me a year and a half to read that book. And then I wanted to, like, kick myself. This woman, every time she says something, she's right. And I should have listened. I mean, it was totally stupid of me to assume that she just was keeping our rent space at Amazon down. Right? <laughs> like... How legitimately had a problem, and she was coming to you, the leader, for for guidance, right? Yes, but she was not complaining though. Like she's so. If there's someone just as competitive as I am, like she's right there with me. So she was up for the challenge. I mean, I remember one time, you know, uh, you know, passion spills over, and we love each other. But um, during COVID, our passion got heated in the middle of everybody. <laughs> and um, we were disagreeing and she was right I was wrong she knows better than me the production floor I should have totally not argued with her Um, and she's very open to ideas but you know sometimes it gets the best of me like why are we doing it this way we you know I'm looking at fewer footsteps or I'm looking at you know if we could teach our forklift drivers to do it this way we could produce you know this many more pounds a day I mean we're looking at like the micro things that make the company run and so sometimes we get passionate when we talk to each other and um and it's just part of it. You got to have, you got to give each other that, um, the humility and the honesty and know that we love each other. I mean, when I have to have a hard conversation with an employee, which I don't do very often anymore, it's like, let's talk about, we're going to talk about something hard. You, you're not getting written up and you're not fired. Did you just hear what I said? What did I say? You know, cause de- a natural instinct is to go into defensive mode when you're going to have a hard conversation. And when you give them the peace, e- even when the defensive mode comes up, you can say, what did I say? You're not getting written up. You're not fired. We just need to talk through this, and you need to look me in my eyes. You know, uh, it, right. acknowledge that you've heard this because yes. this is going to be constructive. But you're not getting written up, right? And I want to hear what you have to say, but you're going to look me in the eyes <laughs> because we're going to look at each other when we have this conversation. Um, so I'm really weird like that, and wanting to make sure that they heard me and that we can work through it. Um, but there's very few times that I have to have those conversations. I mean, I, it might be once every other year at this point. My managers are really good at working with their team. They have the same sense of openness, honesty, transparency that I have with them. Um, but they're respectful. Like they, they are very respectful of these people um, and, our, and our team members. So um, they're thoughtful, respectful. They're always trying to work for them, make their lives better. I mean, it's kind of a culture that has now resonated and, and pushed through the company. Well, I'm sure with people listening to this story, you are becoming a mentor for others. And that's really what the, the whole point of the Winning at Work podcast is for, is to show how other people are using their superpowers, how they're overcoming the the big challenges that they're having at work, particularly in food and beverage. This is our space. This is kind of where we're, we're really niched down. 
how can people find you online? I mean, are, are you are you on socials? Do you have a handle that people can? Oh yeah, yeah. So you? we've got um, yeah for sure. I'm on LinkedIn, Sarah Mater, no H. Um, the company's name is Palouse Brand. Our website www.palousebrand.com. That's where we're at. Check out the site today, but know that a new one is coming that we love even more. Um, it's a little more e-commerce focused than our current site. It'll make shopping much easier and tell our story better. Um, we do have Twitter. We have Facebook. We have Instagram. Um, one other thing, uh, Tony, that I, I have to mention, you know, we've, we can only grow certain things where very food related, by the way, we can only grow certain foods where we live. We're dry land farmers, which means if we want rain, we get on our knees and ask, we don't just turn on the sprinklers very different than, um, irrigated farms. So, uh, you know, our rainfall is dependent on, or our water is dependent on rainfall a hundred percent. And a lot of people have come to love the Palouse brand and what we've done over the years, but there are other people that ask us to bring foods that we can't grow in our area. That comes with a level of responsibility, something that's good for the environment. And so this year we launched Actually, last August, we launched Clear Creek Foods, and Clear Creek Foods is designed um, for us to work with other neighbors to produce high-quality foods that have a level of traceability as well. And so you, all of our um, Clear Creek Food stuff is clearcreekfoods.com. Uh, we have the same on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, you can find us on Amazon, but those are some other products that we can't necessarily grow on our farm, but we've been asked to provide, um, and it's made sense for the space we play in. So there, you know, there's black beans, there's red lentils, there's golden lentils, there's green lentils, um, there's beluga lentils, which, which are a beautiful black lentil that look like caviar. And so, um, all of those lentils and foods put nitrogen back into our soils and help us grow, uh, uh, you know, we, we grow things on a rotation. And so even though it's not necessarily from our farm grown by, uh, you know, my husband and his team, we still wanted a way to get more foods with some traceability out to our, our consumers. And so if your listeners get a shot and a chance to look up Ploops Brand and Clear Creek Foods, we'd love it. Oh, that is great. I We just picked up a lot of value bombs today from you, Sarah. And you're just gonna... <laughs> value bombs. Okay. That's going to be a new one here that we're going to There start you go. <laughs> See, I have to give you something because you've just given us a lot to. Oh, I really appreciate not... that one. I'm going to use that like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, truth be told, you say that, you know, you have these mentors that you listen and learn from. Well, I've heard that expression from other podcasters. So there you go. See, yeah. I do the same thing. I, I, I listen to, to the big superstars, you know, in podcasting and that's a phrase that they like to use. And it's true. I mean, it's, it's definitely true, but you can take it from me. <laughs> the value bomb. Value bomb. I love it. Yep. I love it. I actually post some sayings on my wall. Um, that I like when, and, and value bomb might be a term that we post up here in the office just to make sure we're incorporating, incorporating it into our language. And there you, know, you go. I have, I have one specific manager that I can't wait to put it to like gift wrap it, Tony and say, I'm, I've got a value bomb. I'm going to give you right now. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, great. 
Well, you know what? That's probably going to have a different meaning because of all the different ideas that you're bringing up. They're probably going to be like, it's another idea bomb that you're dropping on them. Yeah, right? know, but it'd be so fun to, to the, the reaction that I get from this one guy that, that's been on our team for, for 12 years. He's going to love that. He's just going to oh, shake his head great. and smile, you know? Well, so. this is, it's just been such a pleasure to learn more about the Palouse brand, the culture, the family forward. Uh, ideology, you know, for for hiring that was very unique, and of course the sustainability versus organics. It's just been fantastic. Sarah, thank you so much for for uh, being so generous with your time today. Yeah, I really appreciate you and what you do, Tony. So thank you so much for having me. 